0: Come with me to the book of Matthew, if you will. We're in a series uh, on the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're at. Last week we started talking about um, the third Beatitude in the series. Happy are the meek, blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. We did the first half of this uh, sermon last week. And now uh, we're going to uh, finish it up this week. If you'd stand with me as we read your word, and you can pray with me, pray for me if you'd like, because I think I left my glasses at home. So, Matthew chapter five, beginning of verse three, we read, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. You may be seated. Last week, we started talking about meekness, humility. What does it mean to be meek? It's a difficult... I've had several conversations with people, with men especially. um, Actually, it's been men exclusively, about this topic and about what we've been uh, going through the the Beatitudes and then saying, telling them that I'm on meekness right now, and and to a man... They have said, man, that's a tough one or some variation of that. That's a difficult one because as men, we equate meekness with weakness. We think that being meek means that we are going to be walked over, means that we're not going to be seen as strong. And ladies, let me just let me just throw something out to you. Something your husband or your boyfriend or your boys or whatever, whoever, whatever man you have in your life probably would love to say to you, but might not want a, might not be excited about the response. No man wants to be walked on. No man wants to be verbally abused. No man wants to be made to feel less than a man. I know we live in times where uh, women's rights are being pushed. I think, listen, I am all about equality. I don't think there should be any difference in pay structure. I don't think there should be any difference in uh, if, if you do the same job, you should get the same pay. If you're better at it, you should get more pay. Uh, seriously, I, I, I have, I'm all about equality. But and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be some heavy shoes I tread with when I say this. There is an order set down in the church by God. And it's because of the curse on humanity and on the earth. Now, I'm sorry that it is the way it is, but make no mistake, it is the way it is. And men are supposed to be men. I'm not going to get into a whole dissertation about all this, and (laughs) I saw another friend in ministry that (laughs) has caved into the Me Too movement. Men are supposed to be men. Men are supposed to act like men. That doesn't mean that you're a brute. That doesn't mean you're a bully. That means you're a man. That means you stand up like a man. That means you take the responsibility of a man. And that means that you, while still being meek, still are a man of power, under control. We need to allow each other in our homes and our marriages to operate the way God has ordained us to operate. And you need to allow your husband and you need, I'll just say, I'll I'll say this. You need to encourage your husband to be a man. You need to encourage your husband to be a man of God. You need to encourage your husband to stand up and take the responsibility that God has given you, that that God has given him to be a man, just like he needs to encourage you to stand up and be a woman of God, just like God has given you that power. Listen, there's nobody in this church that it can can accuse me of saying, I don't allow women to get involved in ministry. (laughs) You see who led worship today? See who's on the stage? See who prayed this morning? So we don't, we don't discriminate in ministry. But there is, a, there is an order that God has put down. And men are to be men. It is, it is popular today. I, we have two young ladies that have joined our family, my two daughters, Maya and Autumn. And I think they look at me a little bit strange sometimes. Maya's talking about her marriage, her wedding. She says, Dad, I think it's going to be fine, because Dad's going to have to wear pink. Ain't happening, okay? Oh, he's gonna have to. It's my it's my wedding. He's gonna do it. No, no. John Chase. Nobody tells John Chase what to do, okay? Except God. And I'm not. That's not arrogance. That's not ego. That's the fact that I'm a man, and I have been given the responsibility to be a man, to lead my family. I've got two boys that are growing up in my home, my two young sons that need desperately the example of a man of God in their lives. They need examples of men of God in their church. And that's why I encourage our men to get together and, and be men together. They need great examples of godly women in their, in their lives, both in the home and in the church. So let's just allow each other to be who God has called us to be and not try to bow to the pressure of society to push men or women. Please, it goes both ways. But lately, masculinity and being a man is, is being pushed aside. Now, of course, now things have changed right now with all the, those people on, on the... On the side of politics that doesn't usually like to go to war. Okay, is that, is that diplomatic enough to say? Now they want everybody's sons to go and, and fight World War III. It's funny how you want men to be men when you need it. Well, just remember, ladies, your husband has been called to be a man of God. And meekness does not mean weakness. It doesn't mean being a man of God doesn't mean that they rule the house with an iron fist. That's called a knucklehead. That's not called a man of God. But there are differences between the sexes. There are two genders that God has created: male and female. You, hey, listen, man. You, you feel, gentlemen, if you feel nice walking around the house with a tutu and some, you know, some uh, nice. Dance shoes or whatever. I don't know what women wear. I don't make a habit of putting that, those clothes on. If that's what makes you feel comfortable, feel comfortable, but you're still a man. Okay? Ladies, those of you who are raising young boys who one day will be men, make sure you're raising them to be men. Make sure you're doing them the favor of raising them to be men. They don't have to love football. They don't have to love sports. They can love, listen, there's all kinds of things out there for for boys to get involved in. But they do do need to know what it means to be a man. And if there's not a man in the home and there's not a man in your life, we've got a bunch of them here at the church that can fill that role. That was a little detour here um, that I think needed to be taken. What is meekness? I gave you this definition last week. It's it's uh, as I studied this and as I really pondered on what meekness is. This is what I came up with. Meekness is willful submission of all that we are to all that God is, so that we can be all that we can be. Meekness is willful submission of all that we are to all that God is, so that we can be all that we can be. Weakness is power. Meekness is power under control. I believe it's it's much more difficult and much more of a manly action to be a meek individual and to put yourself under the leadership of God in your life than it is to be uh, a, a, a forceful, out there, pound your chest, red meat man. I believe a man who will willingly put himself under the leadership of God first and then other men or other leadership I believe that's what meekness truly is. Now, I gave you five things of what meekness is. And we divide, we're dividing this up into two different sections. What meekness is and how meekness is played out in your life. And I gave you five things of what meekness is. The first thing is, we've mentioned already, meekness is power under control. Just because you're meek, just because you're a meek follower of Jesus doesn't mean you, ladies and men, it doesn't mean you give up your power. It doesn't mean you give up your voice. It doesn't mean you give up your autonomy. In, in other things. It doesn't mean you give up uh, your, your ability to lead. It simply means that you take your way, your purpose, your power, and put it under the leadership of God and allow him then to use all that he has created you to be to become all that he has created you to be. Second thing is, was that meekness is humility. To be meek is to accept our strengths and limitations for what they truly are, instead of constantly trying to betray ourselves in the best possible light. Thirdly, and this one was a little bit, this was a, a, a one I, if you remember last week, I told you this was one I went back and forth on. Uh, and I changed uh, after I prayed a lot about it. Uh, I changed it. Uh, meekness is unreasonable. Meekness is unreasonable. Originally, I've said meekness is reasonable, but meekness, as I studied more and prayed more about it, allowed the Holy Spirit to kind of massage my brain on it. So I said meekness is unreasonable. And I said that because, to be honest, the plan of salvation isn't reasonable. And I know some of you might get offended by that. You're calling God unreasonable. No, I'm not. What I'm saying is God gave everything with no guarantee. God gave everything. He gave His Son. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins with no guarantee. You still have to accept His salvation. But God went out and gave His Son and Jesus gave Himself up willingly. And for us... Being meek and putting yourself under the authority of a God you cannot see, under the authority and leadership of a God you can't sit down and have a face-to-face conversation with, to many people that seems unreasonable. But for those of us who have put our faith in Him, it's the most sane, competent decision for our lives. While trusting a plan that we can't map out may... uh, It may seem crazy to others, but to us who have done so, it is peaceful. Why? Because it pleases God. The fourth thing we said meekness was, is that meekness is confident. When you are in the will of God, when you are in under the leadership of God, when you are in harmony with the purpose of God for your life, when you're where you know he wants you to be, you have all the confidence in the world to do your job. We had our first meeting of the missions team. And I know some people weren't able to be there, but what a great discussion. And I had to kind of close it down because the ideas were just flying around. And it was awesome. It's what I've been waiting, what, what I've been wanting. Not what I've been waiting for. It's what I've been wanting. It's so, many, and so And it's exactly what I, it's exactly what I thought. As I've told you, and I'm not being self-deprecating, please. I'm, I'm very comfortable with who I am. I'm very comfortable in my skin. I know who I am. I know what my limitations are. I know what my strengths are. And I'm not the most creative person in the world. I truly am not. I can, I can add on to things, but just kind of making stuff up out of thin air or, you know, taking so, some. Some of you can, it's like a... Like Ratatouille, one of my favorite movies of all time. The little little rat Remy, right? Remy, Remy, Remy finds all, he'll he'll find all these different ingredients and just start adding them, and pretty soon he's got a gourmet meal, right? Well, that's what some of you can do, and by doing what we're doing with that worship, with that missions team, it's opening the door for people to be creative and get to get things done. And it's there was an amazing confidence. And amazing support in that meeting on Tuesday night. And then the last thing I said is that meekness is satisfaction. I can't describe to you, I can't explain to you, I can't diagram out for you what it's like to be in the perfect will of God, to be walking hand in glove in a way that you know God has called you to walk but I know it when I'm there. And what I can tell you this, what I can tell you is this. I know when I'm there, I'm very satisfied. I'm very satisfied in what God has called me to do. And I'm very satisfied in what God is is doing through me. So we talked about what meekness is and how meekness affects us personally. Now we want to look at what meekness does that's all well and good. Sitting down, having your devotions, learning things, writing in your journal, you know, having your prayer time, all of that is, is awesome. And that's the preparation. That is the personal maintenance. That's what we have to do. If we're going to be solid followers of Jesus Christ, those are the things that we have to do on a daily basis. We have to make sure that we take care of home base, right? We have to make sure that we take care of our own spiritual walk. Listen, if you don't, if you, if you neglect, you know, you, how many of you seen that? It's probably, probably a magnet in some Christian bookstore. Now, maybe it was on your, uh, your refrigerator growing up, or maybe your pastor or Sunday school teacher, or, a, a, one of the godly old women in your church said this to you, seven days without prayer makes one week. And it's W E A K not W E E K. And it's very true. When you go without prayer, when you go without reading your Bible, man, now you're starting to, now you're starting to live on your past accomplishments. Because Jesus, the the Bible tells us that God's mercies are new every morning. Well, how do you know what those mercies are? How do you know when God promises, he says, live in this day because Today has enough evil to deal with. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about yesterday. Live in today. How do you know what God wants you to do? If you haven't talked with him, if you haven't read his word, if you haven't communicated with him, you're just living on past energy. You're living on past past victories. And eventually you're going to run out of gas. Eventually you're going to get to the point where you are no longer... uh, ministering out of the overflow in your life, you're going to be empty and bitterness and frustration are going to to creep in. And you're going to start saying, well, what in the world am I here for? Why am I doing all this? I give so much of my time. I give so much of my money. And it's just the same thing over and over and over again. And you're going to start getting critical. And then you're going to, like so many have done recently, you're going to walk away. You see, staying in a relationship with Jesus Christ on a daily basis, man, that's the secret to success. That's the secret in, uh, in the walk of a believer that keeps us strong and fresh and vital and active. Now, we're living in very strange times. We truly are. We're living in very perilous times. I think mean, we need to, we don't need to read the headlines of what's going on in the world today to know that we're in difficult times. Imagine all that's going on in America today. All the, uh, still, you know, I know tomorrow kids go back to school in, in many towns and they don't have to wear masks. You know, I, I get that, first of all, they go back to school tomorrow. That's enough right there. <laughs> Praise God. Secondly they go back and and you know it seems like it seems like the 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 um pandemic is kind of waning a little bit. We've seen it before and it may come back but Seems like we're, it's, it's uh, calming down a little bit, but it's still there. And we still see so many things and, and not just that, but the after effects of it in, in the economy. And if you've gone to the grocery store, if you've gone to, uh, you know, um, Aaron and I are gonna have to have a conversation later on today to decide which kid we're gonna sell so we can fill up the gas tank. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> It's, exp- it's expensive right now, right? That's the point of it all. Prices are high. And on top of that, there's so much going on in our society. Now check this out. Add to that an aggressor nation bombing your home. That's what's going on in the world today. Up is down, down is up evil is good, good is evil. The world has lost its mind. And along with the world losing its mind, many Christians are willingly following because they haven't kept strong in their faith. Because they haven't, you know, we, we, for two years we said faith over fear and I think somebody made a whole lot of money on t-shirts that said faith over fear in so many different designs. Yet fear has beaten out faith in many, many Christians' lives. These are the times where it's very, very, very easy to be human. I'm not sure you understand. Oh, shut up. <laughs> wow. Well, Siri, be quiet and I'll tell you. It's very, very easy to become defensive. It's very, very easy to become angry. Heard one, um, one pastor say, take a very incredible, incredibly divisive stand in the pulpit in a message he preached. And he said, and the thing about us Christians is you don't have any right to attack my... Oh, okay, I, first of all, I'm not a part of your church, so... I'm not going to attack you. But secondly, as a pastor, as a peer, yeah, I do. It's my responsibility to call out false teaching. It's my responsibility to address that in, my, in, in myself and in my brother in the ministry. Same thing if you've got somebody you work with that is stealing from the company or lying on things like that. It's your responsibility to call them out. That's my responsibility with other pastors to at least speak to them or, or, or say something about what they're doing. Just because times get difficult does not mean that we give up our faith and that we give up truth and that we give in to what society is trying to tell us and we, in fear, walk away from what we know is truth. We still hang on to parts of the truth, but we allow those parts that we just don't want to fight about anymore that are definitely spoken against in scripture to now become a normal part of our lives and say that God progressively restores creation. So that's why we do these things now. And that's just not right. That's just not true. And it's very easy when you hear those things to become defensive and angry as a Christian because it it is our faith. It is the truth of the word of God that's being attacked. And we want to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you see what you're doing? Don't you see the damage you're creating and causing? And we can start a fight and we can start an argument and we can go on, uh, on social media and we can do all the things that everybody on social media does and just lambaste people and be a keyboard warrior, right? We can do those things. And you have every right, every human right, every right as an American to do those things. But ask yourself the question that I'm asking you right now. Is that what Jesus wants? Is that what a meek follower of Jesus Christ would do? How is meekness played out in our lives? That's not how we're called to see life. It's not how we're called to respond to others. It's not how we are called to represent Jesus to the world. Our very human feelings and makeup tell us to respond with force and to defend ourselves and what we believe. But is that how Jesus taught us to respond? It may be what we want and it may satisfy our righteous indignation. But does it satisfy and glorify a holy God? That's the question. You see, your righteous indignation needs to come from a holy God. Your righteous indignation, your, your anger, uh, your, your feelings, your morality, all of these things that we're, that we're responding to and we're dividing over. Well, those things are not our personal feelings. Those, those are things that we must get from a holy God. Oh, God, how do you want me to respond? God, how do you want me to engage in this? Con- do you? Here, here's, here's one. We talked about this last week a little bit, right? God, do you want me to engage in this conversation? Do you want me to address this matter? Or do you have a better plan I know for myself, almost always, almost always. I've learned this after many years of of doing it my way. Almost always God's plan for me is to, is, is God just says, hey, John, you just just come to me with that. okay? you just you can run your mouth to me. You can spout off to me. You can uh, you can get you can vent your anger to me, but I don't need you going out there, running your mouth, yelling at others, causing a stir. I will take care of it in my time. That's still a tough lesson for me to learn. It's still a difficult lesson for me to not just learn. It's a difficult lesson for me to apply. But. That's what's best. That is what meekness is. Power under control. Power under the control of God. But, 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 but they deserve that. I know what they deserve. I also know what I deserve. And a loving God is just as well. A loving God will repay. And that's what he said. So if I can't, if if I'm going to be thankful to God that he doesn't give me what I deserve, I need to cut everybody else some slack. And I need to allow, and if I want to let God handle me (laughs) and, and, and my judgment, then I need to give everybody else the same courtesy and allow God to handle their judgment. Now, if he calls me to be the voice in the wilderness then I'll speak. Gentlemen, wouldn't we all love at some point in life to be called to be the hammer of God? Hey, that's fun. But it never comes. (laughs) Those are the questions we're supposed to ask ourselves before we claim to represent the one we follow life isn't fair and not everyone gets the same advantages or the same breaks or the same helping hands but nothing has happened to us in our lives but nothing that has happened to us in our lives is an excuse or gives us the right to abuse or mistreat others to be angry and lash out or to plant our flags over issues that are personal and not eternal do you get that? Nothing that's happened to us in our lives gives us the right to plant our flag and fight our battle on issues that are personal, not eternal. I'm not here to win my own personal war. As much as I want to fight those battles, as much as I want to maybe prove my point, as much as I may want to get my way, God has not called me to plant my flag and win my fight. He's called me to plant His flag and do his will. And don't worry, these are the same cruel shoes that I've walked all over myself for for the last two weeks. Meekness understands that it's not about you and meekness knows who the true enemy is. In light of the times in which we're in, the brazen depravity of much of society, the open mocking of all things biblical and Christian that attacks our true morality and actual truth. I believe it's more than fair, even vital, that we ask ourselves the question as followers of Jesus, a question that was posed to me last Saturday when I took the boys to baseball practice. I talked with another Christian uh, man. Uh, just uh, wonderful to have those conversations while the boys are playing <laughs> practicing baseball. We're talking about this very thing. And he looked at me with emotion and he choked up talking about what's going on in life. He says, how then shall we live? He phrased it exactly that way because that's, that's the way it's phrased in, in many writings and scripture asks that same question. How then shall we live? That's the question we have to answer. When it comes to meekness, when it comes to living for Jesus, when it comes to representing him to this world in whatever it is that you do, listen, nothing that you do, no job you have, no career occupation, no family situation, nothing that you do in this life is exempt from God's way. If we're going to call ourselves Christians and we're going to call ourselves followers of the one true God, then that faith that he has taught us, that faith that we learn, that faith that we're supposed to live, is supposed to intertwine throughout our entire life. It's supposed to be what affects every decision we make, every relationship we're involved in, every job we take, everything we do the Bible tells us. Paul wrote it a couple times. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Man, that's what it's about. How shall we live? We we'll live God. We need to live God's way. Yes, the Bible addresses times like these, attitudes like these, actions like these, and complete moral uncertainty such as we're seeing and facing. It teaches us and warns us and pleads with us to trust the process, to trust God's plan and to follow his will. But it also tells us that we'll take courage and stamina that is beyond you to endure these times. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. He knows what you're dealing with. Those of you who have young children... Those of you, I, I never thought I'd have to be concerned about these things again, but I am. Those of you who are raising kids, those of you who, who have preschool age kids, those of you who are, who are about to have children. I know looking at the world today and saying, what in the world, how are we going to do this? Listen, I'm asking questions of myself and Aaron and I are having conversations that I never would have dreamed of having 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when I was raising three children. How shall we live? The stamina, the endurance for these times, it's beyond you, but it's not beyond Him. Living God's way and facing the world and its issues with true biblical honesty will be blessed because it's right. First Peter 3, 13 through 17 tells us who then will harm you if you were devoted to what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Man, if you underline in your Bible, if you highlight, whew, that's a passage right there. Because we are we are making all kinds of other things holy today. I might ruffle some feathers, man, but we're making civil rights a biblical thing today. And it's not. Listen, don't. It's the American way. I get it. I'm all about it. I'm all about equal right. Don't get me wrong. But those kind of things, that's not that's that that doesn't make you holy. Okay, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says in whatever your state you're in, whatever state you find yourself in, be content, live for him. You can do it. People say, well, the Bible endorses slavery. Eh, No, it doesn't. The Bible simply says, if you happen to find yourself in a situation of slavery, honor God. And you honor God by doing the best at what you can do. I disagree with that. Okay. You know what? I don't like slavery either. I don't like like the fact that five-year-old kids are sold to Deviant, disgusting men, uh, who I—that's why I'd love to be the hammer of God, right? So, so when you when you're so concerned about your your issue of not being taken seriously, just remember there are children in this world, there are women in this world that are being sold into bondage for the disgusting thoughts and actions of other human beings. There's always a worse time. So maybe, just maybe, if you put in perspective your life compared to what others are going through, you'll realize I really do need to give this to God. He goes on. Ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do this with... Here we go, man. Here we go. All right? We would love to stop at the end of verse... What is that? I can't see it. Verse 15, but we go on to 16. It says, yet do this with gentleness. Oh, come on, God. Do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that I was just trying to explain this to my sons this week, my two youngest sons this week, separate conversations with each of them. So that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. They, I, I, told, I told Gabriel yesterday, Gabriel, make people lie about you if they want to say something bad. Don't give them ammunition to attack you with. Do the right thing because it's the right thing to do and if people want to come back at you if people want to 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 blow you up and to, to destroy your life, make them lie i'm not I'm not advocating lying, please don't get me wrong people are going to be people are going to you're never going to be not, not everybody's going to love you, not everybody's going to be happy with you but folks it's it's incumbent upon us as Christians that we live a life in such a way that if people want to attack us and people want to say negative things about us, they, have, they need to have to make up a lie. Or, hey, man, you want to attack me for being a solid Christian? Go ahead, I'll, I'll wear that badge. But as far as negativity goes, make them lie about you if they're going to say something negative. It's only going to make them look worse. And you're going to be, uh, you're going to be honoring God in that way. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That kind, of makes it, that kind of makes it common sense, doesn't it? Well, God, I don't want to suffer at all. Yeah, but you're going to have to sometimes. It's just the way of the world. Just the way of humanity. So make sure that you're, you're, taking, the, you're taking the heat for doing what's good, not for doing what's wrong. According to the teaching of the Bible, there's a way to live and have influence as a follower of Jesus. Not necessarily influence that inspires societal change, because that's not what we're called to do. You understand that? We are. I know there are so many out there taking the Bible and trying to make a political statement with it. The Bible is not the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the United States is not a holy document. I love it. I gave part of my life... To defend it, I grew up on naval bases while my father defended it and defended freedom. And if they called me right now, um, I would go back and do my job and do my duty to my country. Because I believe in the American experiment. But it's a human attempt to govern ourselves. It is not holy. Okay? We're not going to get into a discussion on that right now. (sighs) We're not necessarily looking for influence that brings about equality or justice for the marginalized. Once again, that's not our calling, but change that happens in our lives, souls and spirit, the change that happens in our lives, souls and the spirits of individual people. We're here to make, to try to affect eternal change. If we can lead people to allow issues, to uh, uh, allow Jesus to change their, their hearts, he'll do the work in them that he wants to do. How shall we live? Let's look into it this morning. How shall we live? We should live with meekness. Why? Because first, meekness builds relationships. We talk about that a lot around here, don't we? Relationships build churches. Well, what builds relationships? Meekness. Meekness builds relationships. Why? Because it understands, listen, here we go. This goes contrary to society, goes contrary to popular teaching, goes contrary to what you'll read in People magazine or see on Yahoo News or all these other outlets that are all about you, 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 you. This, is, this goes beyond selfies that everybody wants to post. Understands that in life as followers of Jesus, we are third. We're not first. We're not second, we're third. God first, then others, and then us. That's what it's supposed to be when it comes to relationship. Yes, you're supposed to take care of yourself. You're supposed to make sure you're strong and walking with Jesus Christ. But when it comes to ministry, when it comes to living a life in this world of influence that matters, of eternal influence, God must be first. Others must be second, and you must be third. Meekness builds relationships, first of all, with God. And that is the most important influential relationship of your life. How how should we view that? He, not me. He, not me. He needs to be first. First in everything you do. First thing you need to do is pray. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. Listen, I am, I've learned in my life, I still take a beating for it, but that's okay. I've learned to just be quiet. Just be quiet. People say, oh, you're, you're angry. Oh, you're upset. No, I'm not. I'm just quiet. There are times when, and, and many of you in your lives, you, we're adults, man. Sometimes the weight of the world is on our shoulders. It truly is. Sometimes there are things going on that we just need to process. And my way of processing is just to be quiet. Just be quiet. I would rather be quiet than lash out. There are still times where I do that. There are still times where I, I, I play the fool. But I'm getting better at it. And I just need to be quiet. And in those quiet times... I need to spend time talking with God, saying, Lord, have you ever talked to him this way? Lord, I am really frustrated right now. I'm really angry right now. I'm really confused right now, Lord. I want to speak to, some, I, Lord, it would just feel so much better for me if I could tell them about themselves. Come on now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's not the way we've learned Jesus. He, not me. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor God with the first of everything in your life, the first of your time. You're expecting me to say something. You're expecting me to bring something into this, but I won't. You can fill in the blank. (laughs) The first of your time, the first of your energy, the first of your freedom, the first of your love, the first of your attention. That's what he wants. Honor God with the first in your life. And what will he do? Listen, for those of you with children... With small children, you cannot. You. I just ask, how many of you think you have free time? How many of you have free time? How many of you cannot remember the last time that you had was free, with your children? That's the way. That's right. That's the way it is, man. Can I can I tell you something? The the punchline to that joke, <laughs> it doesn't end. Doesn't end. <sighs> That's why raising children is an honor from God and needs to be seen as a as an a a blessing from God and a charge from God to an adult to raise children. It's no mistake that in these these what I believe are the end times that we're seeing uh, families break up and we're seeing parents not pay attention to their children, not treat their children properly, not raise their children properly. for Samuel 12:24 Above all fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart consider the great things he has done for you Meekness builds relationships when you're meek when it's him and not you meekness We'll build that strong relationship with God. Not only a relationship with God, but a relationship with others. Meekness builds relationships with others. How do we see that? We, not me. We, not me. Man, that is so counterculture to American society, isn't it? American society, it's all about me. Me, 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 me. We've, And I, I've said it once already, but we've created a new, uh, there's a new word in the American lexicon called a selfie, right? There's some people, be- we have, our society is such that we have 15-year-old kids making uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars simply to be on social media and influence others. They've got this great technical name, it's called influencers let me, let, me, let me run that back a little bit they're 15 15 listen you know all these peer counseling programs in high schools i don't care if anybody from east long meadow high is listening online we'll have a conversation about it man peer counseling is stupid What do I want another 13-year-old talking to my 13-year-old about life for? You can barely blow your nose, kid. Seriously. Seriously. Are you out of your righteous mind? Seriously. Oh, wait a minute. I, you don't know what I've lived through. <laughs> I wrote the book on what you lived through, kid. And everybody, every adult over the age of 30 in this room wrote the book on what you lived through. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, said under the inspiration of God. There's nothing new under the sun. I don't need some knuckle-headed teenager who still wears their pajama pants to school because they're too lazy to get up and get dressed. Now, I know it's a fashion statement, so don't get you know, whatever. I'm making a point here (laughs) to try to influence. And I don't need 14-year-olds on social media influencing my kids, and and God help us if they're influencing our leadership. I hear hear political leaders quoting these kids. Like, do you realize what you're doing? You'd be better off listening to Captain Crunch. (laughs) Or the Rice Krispie Boys, right? Snap, crackle, and pop. Let them talk to you in the morning. That'll make more sense. Seriously. Come on. We, not me. We, not me. It's not about me. It's not about my individual recognition. It's not about my kingdom. It's about building his kingdom. That's what matters. Building the kingdom of God. Galatians five thirteen for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Ooh, oh, oh, oh. that kind of stings. That kind of stings a little bit. You know I have no problem with people making money. That's what I love about America. I know, okay, I am going to say something political here. You ready? (laughs) If you think socialism is is cool, ask the people of Ukraine right now how cool they think socialism is. Okay? Go ahead and just keep giving the government power. And then they take over. All right? That's just my personal opinion. All right? Now... We are given freedom to, first of all, as American citizens, freedom to pursue. I got no problem with people making money. No problem with people making money. But you know what I love? Is when I see people that have been blessed with the ability to make money, to make millions. Man, I don't care. Millions, make billions, I don't care. That's that's all about you. But I love when those people give back. Oh, geez. Yeah, but they only gave. Have you ever heard anybody say, oh, they only gave 10 million. Um, really? That's all. Geez. 10 million. I love when they give when people like that give out of their great fortune. Because, you know, what that makes me understand. They understand that it's we, not me that I need to give back. I love when I see adults give back and give recognition to others. I love when our church pays attention to my children, my, my four youngest children, because you understand that those kids you're giving back. You, you're loving on them. They're getting, they're getting something that wasn't at, wasn't present in their lives. It's about we, not me. I love that. I love that. That's the way we're supposed to live. As Christians, we, not me. We're supposed to build relationships with others by putting others... Remember, Paul said, put others before yourself. Prefer others before yourself. Jesus said, if someone asks you for your coat, give them your shirt as well. Ever, Ever really made that personal and practical and said, is there any item in my closet... Shoes, jacket, shirt. Is there anything item in my closet that I that I love that I'm so attached to that I would not give up for someone else? Think about that. That's a real way to make a practice. Is there any item in my closet that I would not give up for give to somebody else if they were in need? (sighs) All right. Maybe that's a little too far. (laughs) We not me. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to our own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt, oh, then he, then, don't you just hate what he does here at the next statement? Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Why'd you have to go and play the Jesus card? Right? Seriously, why'd you have to bring Jesus into it? Why'd you have to tell, why'd you have to say that? Because now, it, I know it's true. Okay. Now it's like, okay, I, I, I get it. Because, you know, whatever. I, then Romans 12, 9 and 10, let love be without hypocrisy. Uh, Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Man, can we hear this in the house of God today? Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. What could we do for the kingdom of God if we didn't fight among ourselves, first of all, as church members, but as churches as well? My gosh, it's like trying to give, uh, it's like trying to give a a person who's afraid of the dentist, Novocaine in the chair when you will try to get churches to work together in our area. It truly is. Could we please just love each other like brothers and sisters, understanding that our separation, our segregation, the way we, the way we keep away from each other as churches and as brothers and sisters in Christ that may make you feel better, but all it does is condemn other people to hell. And then lastly, and this is where we'll end today, we'll, we'll finish this message next week. It builds relationships with our church family. How does this, how, how do we see this? The mission is greater than me. The mission is greater than me. Listen, can I, can I be honest with you? I have had to adopt this in my life. People have asked me recent, a lot recently, <sighs> Well, you know, you're 59. You're going to be 60 this year. When are you going to retire? I'm not going to. (laughs) There may be a time where I step down as senior pastor because I can't continue to do the job um, that needs to be done. But just because I step down from one position doesn't mean I retire. Doesn't mean I walk away. There is work to do. And I plan on leaving this human body with the tank on empty. Truly use it as an organ donor. (laughs) That's fine. Um, if you can get any life out of it, but I plan on leaving this body with the tank empty. Why? And I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm not being arrogant here. I mean this with all my heart. The mission is greater than me. It's not about my mind, it's not my about my way, it's not about my intelligence, it's not about my abilities. The mission to reach people, to affect the lives of others for eternity is greater than me. How in the world can I be selfish when people are dying and going to hell? How can I think about me when and and, and how we're going to build my little kingdom, new life, when my brothers and sisters in the Ukraine are. Have you seen the pictures of Christians hiding in basements right now in Ukraine? Why? Because that wonderful man from Russia is targeting Christians. He wants to kill Christians. Wonderful. Wonderful. Some of us, our first thought when I say amen and close this out is going to be, what are we going to do for lunch? These folks, man, they're living the persecution that we read about. The mission is greater than me. And listen, I'm not calling you to feel guilty about the good things that God has had. That's not what I'm saying at all. Not at all. God blesses and God provides and God does great stuff for us. And I think we need to thank him for that. And I think we need to use that as fuel to continue the mission forward. But I think we always need to keep everything in perspective and realize that the mission is greater than me. Mark 10 45 says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. That's what you know. You know one of the one of the most um, I think neglected and misunderstood um, actions that Jesus took in his ministry was the night before he was crucified when he washed the disciples' feet. That was in that culture. That was an act of amazing humility, compassion, and care. And Jesus washed their feet. Now, if you ask my wife, she'll tell you, I might have a little, I, I probably got some funky feet, okay? My, my in with my two big, you don't even want to see them. I'm not going to, I won't be posting selfies of my big toes, okay? Um, and at the end of the day, the feet are not the part that you want to be, you know, dealing with from other people, yet Jesus, at the end of the day, on dirt streets, (laughs) the creator of the universe got down on the floor and washed the feet of those who followed him, knowing that the next day he was going to die. He was teaching us an amazing lesson. The mission is more important than us. Jesus, you know what? You say, well, uh, you know, you're going to step a little, a little too far here. No, I'm not. Why did, what did Jesus pray in the garden? Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me, but not my will. yours, your, Yours be done. Jesus knew that the mission was greater than him. And he was the mission. His death was the mission. Whew, that's something to dig into sometime. Matthew 17, 12 and 13, rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. That's what it should look like. The mission is greater than us. He, not me. We, not me. The mission is greater than me. Meekness means others before me and God before all. Listen, as we get, I I know this message was kind of somber today. I know it was kind of heavy today. Actually, I kind of think it fits right in with what's going on. But whether, whether what's going on in the world today had happened today or not, this was going to be the message. So my, my prayer is that for me, that I really dig into this a little more in myself and really spend time being quiet before God and saying, God, am I truly being a meek follower of yours? Am I truly emptying myself of me and filling it with you? My prayer for you is that you'll do the same, is that you'll you'll tear this apart in your life. Think about it, pray about it, talk about it. Get to understand what it means to be someone who puts him first and others before me. And puts the mission above all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege once again of being in your house. And God, Lord, I, I do come before you for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. God, we know people that we're, we're, we're like two places. Some, some of our missionaries have dear friends and minister partners in ministry that are going through this right now or people we know who are children of yours. God, would you give them peace? Would you give them comfort? And would you protect them? Lord, as we, as we see this going on, as we see what's going on in our world, just not this one incident, but everything that's going on, Father, and how the, the whole idea of society is changing even, even what America once stood for as a, a nation that took care of each other, to now where the individual is praised. Father, may we as Christians not fall for it. May we truly dig into Your Word and and realize what we are called to do. Not at the not the expense not not at the 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 expense of calling out others and, and, uh, being, uh, being contrary and, and attacking, but for us, Lord, for, for us, for our own lives, for our relationship with you, would you, would you help us to just kind of look inside and see who we are and who you've called us to be? Lord, we thank you for the blessing of being able to be here. And it's so it, it's, it takes on a real different meaning this morning when others aren't able to meet. Father, I pray that you'll bless us for being here. Bless those who, who joined us online. Father, may all we do bring glory to you. We love you, Lord. May our lives show that. In your name we pray. Amen.